This is Jim Hughes with AFIO Now. We are a program of recorded interviews with former U.S. intelligence officers. And today, I have a very special guest. He's an old friend and a colleague, and our paths crossed many, many times, um, both out in the region and also back here in Washington. His name is Bruce Rydell. Uh, Bruce is a retired senior uh, CIA officer, a senior analyst, who also crossed over at one point into the policy world. Uh, he um, was a senior advisor to four different presidents. He served on President Clinton's um, Camp David uh, peace process team, and he's advised many other people on uh, the importance of the Near East and South Asia. He has a brand new book out. It's called America and Jordan, an Enduring um, Friendship. And it's a great read. I finished it night before last. And I really enjoyed it. I got to say that um, lots of those images and those events just washed over me as I was reading the book. Bruce, welcome to AFIO Now. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, Bruce, as I was saying to you off camera, not only is this a very well-researched and written book, it's also a very personal history. Would you share with our audience a little bit about some of the personal aspects uh, of this journey that you went on? Certainly. Um, I've been to Jordan uh, many, many times. Um, I've been to Jordan in the last 10 years, I think, four or five times. Um, but my first visit to Jordan was in 1956, when I was three years old. Uh, my father worked for the United Nations uh, and was assigned to the United Nations headquarters uh, in Jerusalem. Um, Very large building uh, just outside of the old city. Uh, we lived in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, uh, which has been quite in the news for the last several years. Uh, it's a Palestinian neighborhood um, which really settlers are trying to move into. Uh, we were very fortunate because uh, most people in Jerusalem in the 1950s uh, could not cross from one side to another. Israelis couldn't come into Jordan, and Jordanians and Palestinians couldn't come into Israel. As we were United Nations, we could go back and forth between both sides. Well, uh, shortly after we arrived in Jordan, of course, the Suez Crisis of November 1956 broke out. Uh, Israel, Egypt, and France all invaded um, Israel, Egypt, Israel, Great Britain, and France all invaded Egypt. Uh, the United States put its foot down and said, no, you can't do this. Uh, but in the interim, my family and I were uh, evacuated uh, out of Jordan. I think back to the United States, uh, only for a week or two, uh, then things calmed down. And we were back and we stayed in Jordan uh, until early 1958. And we were relocated to Beirut only to be evacuated from Beirut uh, when the Lebanese Civil War broke out in 1958. That, fortunately, that time, we were only evacuated to Naples, Italy, uh, which is, you have to be evacuated someplace. Italy is a good spot to be uh, sent. Um, so my, my relationship with Jordan goes back a long, long way. Uh, working in the and subsequently working at the National Security Council and the Pentagon, uh, I had many encounters with uh, the Jordanians, particularly King Hussein, 
who I have to say is one of the most decent, uh, nice human beings I've ever met. And I got to know his son, um, King, now King Abdullah, long before he was put into the line of succession, uh, back when he was expecting to spend his life uh, working in the Jordanian Army and Special Forces Unit. Um, so I have a long, long history with the Jordanians uh, and admired them uh, and their leadership very, very much. You know, in the first 50 years of Jordan's existence, up until 1970, it was one of the most unstable places in the Middle East. There were constant assassination attempts against King Hussein. There were coup plots. Um, there were war with Israel, a uh, war with Syria in 1970. Uh, but since 1970, Jordan has been one of the most stable places in the region. Uh, no civil wars, no rebellions, no intifada. Uh, there's been unrest, but it's been mostly peaceful. Um, it's really quite a remarkable odyssey, this little country is. Bruce, your book is uh, not only a history of the Hashemite kingdom, but also a history of the um, U.S.-Jordanian relationship. Share with our viewers, um, what were some of the highs and lows in that history, both for the kingdom and also for the relationship? Yes, we've had highs and lows. Um, I think probably the Biden administration is one of the highs. Um, last year, um, March and April, there was serious um, unrest in the royal family in Jordan. Uh, Prince Hamza, half. Uh, 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 other uh, current crown prince Spain, uh, was apparently involved in some vicious activity. Um, Saudis were supporting this activity. Um, as a coup plot, that's what it was. I have to say, one of the most feckless coup plots I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen a lot of feckless coup plots in my life. They had no support in the military. But the long and the short of it is, once the CIA was briefed on it, uh, Director Bill Burns immediately went to the White House within hours, met with the president uh, and the vice president, and the president called King Bella and expressed his support for him. And then the White House put out a notice, King King had been called by the president. The president had reiterated support for him. The president also publicly reiterated support for the two-state solution to Palestine. It was a very dramatic example of American support for the Jordanian monarchy uh, in a moment when it was in some danger. We don't know how much danger. I don't think the king was ever in any risk of being overthrown, but it was a dramatic display of American traditional support for We've seen that in other cases. In 1970, in Black September, the Nixon administration strongly uh, became. Um, uh, the CIA also was very active in 1970. Uh, the chief of station then, Jack O'Connell, admitted in his memoirs. Um, so been, those are some of the highs. Uh, the Clinton administration was a high as well. Um, 
Canadians realize that the Oslo process won't work for them, make their own peace treaty with Israel. Uh, and they went ahead and did it. And uh, King was richly rewarded by the Clinton administration with foreign assistance, military assistance. But there have been lows. Uh, maybe the lowest of the lows was in 1990, uh, when the Jordanians uh, did not back the rock against Kuwait, but were not in the uh, anti-Iraq camp. Apparently, you could say they took a somewhat neutral posture. Um, King uh, usually is a pretty good judge people, uh, has supported Saddam Hussein during the Iraq war, uh, was Iraq's biggest supporter, uh, was Iraq's real lifeline to the outside world. Um, and he famously said that we should find an Arab solution in Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. Uh, that, of course, didn't happen. Relations went into a very deep hole, um, very, very frigid. Uh, Congress wanted to take punishing actions against Jordanians. Uh, President George H.W. Bush um, did not want to go that far. Um, but the story also has a personal mention for me. Uh, in 1992, uh, I was at the National Security Council uh, working for uh, Brent Scowcroft and Richard Haas. And in September of 1992, with the election, I was dispatched to Jordan uh, with an oral message from uh, the president and Stokroff. Uh, and the message was, time to get over this. Um, let's put the past behind us. Uh, and assuming the Bush administration re-elected, uh, let's work to rebuild the relationship back to what it was pre-August 1990. Um, not surprisingly, this was a message that became uh, very eager to hear. Uh, I got a um, uh, eight eyes lunch with Ding uh, in the Royal Palace. Uh, the chief of station came with me. Uh, the ambassador uh, was notably not invited to come because he'd been very critical of Ding. Uh, and the next day, I got to fly in the Royal uh, uh, helicopter, Ding's own helicopter, down to Petra. Um, Petra is an incredible archaeological site to see, uh, but it's even neater to see a helicopter uh, which can fly around and, and get you to the high points. So it was it was an interesting mission, uh, and it showed that even at one of the lowest low moments, uh, the American president recognized that we needed to rebuild the relationship, get it back into arm. Gordon, uh, geographically, is the linchpin of the region. Uh, surrounded by Iraq, Syria, Israel, Palestine, uh, Jordan, uh, and Saudi Arabia, and just across the Gulf of Aqaba, Egypt. You have instability in Jordan. It's bound to bleed over to these other countries. Very important for the United States to see Jordan, able, um, active and progressive country. Bruce, as you well know, the um, CIA's role in Jordan and its relationships They've really been unique, perhaps unique in all the world, both with uh, King Hussein and King Abdullah II themselves, but also with the uh, Premier Intelligence Service, uh, the GID. Um, describe to our audience a little bit about that relationship and um, um, how it evolved over the years. Well, the um, mid-50s, uh, there was no Jordanian politics. 
Um, and Jeff O'Connell, who I mentioned earlier, went out there as a young officer. Um, he asked the king, who's your head of intelligence? And I am, I am the head of the intelligence service. And by the way, I am the intelligence service. But he quickly began building. Um, and the United States, uh, was very important at the CIA providing funding to help, uh, build an intelligence service. Uh, and it rapidly became one of the finest, not just in the, I would say one of the finest, uh, Arab builders. Um, particularly good at uh, counterterrorism, uh, um, it is service largely based around, uh, East bankers, that is to say, not Palestinians. Uh, Jordan is a country of 10 million people in which the majority of those 10 million people, not um, ethnically Danian, um, very small minority is ethnically Danian. And this GID is high on these bankers uh, and therefore very, very loyal. Uh, and uh, it has a full responsibilities, but obviously strongest in dealing with the neighborhood. Um, and it is very good in dealing with what has been, uh, perennial enemy, if you like, for the last years, which is Syria, uh, which remains a huge source of concern uh, for the Jordanians today. Uh, not just the terrorist groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda find refuge in, but also that, uh, the Russians have a big military presence there. Um, Iranians, Hezbollah, um, Syria has been a deep concern of the Iranians for a long time, but especially since 2011 civil war out, gains a concern today. And I would say a lot of the intelligence have, um, on, was on in Syria, probably a product of operational But they go beyond that. Um, it's worth remembering in 2009, uh, that it was a Jordanian intelligence officer, uh, apparently penetrated, uh, into Al Qaeda, uh, and found a double agent. Learned sadly, uh, end of December 2009 that he was actually a triple agent, still working for Al Qaeda and the Jordanian and five Americans killed when the supposed agent, uh, blew himself up, uh, based in Afghanistan. But it's an example that the U.S. and Jordan are very, very close to the world. I'll, I'll just give you one other example. Um, whenever King Hussein uh, came to the United States during my tenure um, of house, uh, the plus one in the meeting with the president, never the foreign minister or the prime minister, asked always the head of the intelligence. I, I, can't, I don't know of another country in the world the head of intelligence party is that crucial uh, in policy. Let me just take a, a short step sideways for a moment. You were sharing with me off camera that you have a rather uh, uh, interesting uh, Afghan story uh, of your own uh, that you said you'd like to share with our audience. Would you like to tell us about that, please? Sure. Um, I had a research assistant about uh, eight or nine years ago. Uh, then a young uh, Afghan American 
Uh, she was born in Afghanistan, uh, but her family fled Afghanistan in 1979 when the Soviets invaded, um, ending up in Colorado, where she grew up. Hakan, um, like many, many Americans, decided to come to Washington, uh, get into public policy making, and she came to working for me for a while, as well as doing some other tasks at Brooklyn. A few years ago, uh, she showed up in my office first thing in the morning and said, uh, I'm going home. I foolishly said, you mean Colorado? I mean, I want to go hope my country. And she went off a single uh, Afghan woman, um, got a job in Afghanistan, and she became the special assistant to the Minister of Pakistani Affairs in the Afghan government. That made her a very important position given Pakistan's enormous influence. Um, finally arranged uh, virtual meetings for working staff with uh, various Afghan government officials. Uh, in June of last year, came home for home leave, uh, and in July went back to Kabul. Uh, as August arrived, uh, I and, and many other people began telling Chicago needed to get out of there, get out of there right away. This is falling apart very, very quickly. Uh, she booked tickets on a flight out, um, but unfortunately, the day before she was to fly out, the Taliban were Kabul, and Taliban guards were outside her apartment. Um, that Thursday, I had a phone call. Um, Middle of the day, one who identified himself as working for the United States, uh, saying he worked for the American Army, uh, and telling Chicago, uh, I'm out of your apartment building at 11 o'clock tonight, carrying nothing more than what you can fit in a backpack. Nobody can come with you. You're the only one. We can get out. Um, we're getting you out. Uh, and sure enough, at 11 o'clock, um, went outside. Got in the car, um, very emotional because leaving her Afghan friends behind. Got in the car, and uh, there was another foreigner in the car, as well as the driver. They then drove around the city of Kabul for four or five hours, um, I guess to elude any uh, following them. Went through several checkpoints. Uh, finally arrived at an apartment complex where they changed cars and drove to a large field. And at the large field, an American came up to her and said, hi, I'm the person who called you. Uh, get on that helicopter. You're going home. And they flew her over the gate into Kabul International Airport, where she was rapidly hustled onto the Aryan Air Force uh, jet. Uh, and she was flown to uh, Budapest. Uh, and then from Budapest, in um, uh, uh, flight home on a uh, commercial airplane. Uh, she realized once she got out that it was the CIA rescue her. And uh, where she, the field that she had gone to was part of Eagle Base, CIA's uh, base camp. Um, CIA had no responsibility for Chicago, uh, not a CIA employee, uh, but um, and the evacuation that, in many other ways, was really a debacle. Um, 
the agency did a great job of giving an American home to the United States. Um, after she got back, uh, my wife and I went to the EAA store online and uh, bought her a, a CIA book cap. Apparently, she wears all the time now in Colorado. Um, gratitude to you. Good news story about I that's a wonderful story. Um, thank you for sharing it with us. Um, I got to tell you, it's not the only one. I've heard quite a number um, because that's what we do. Turning back to Jordan, um, what do you see as the future for Jordan and King Abdullah and possibly uh, his successors in the coming years? Um, I, I think Jordan. Uh, Will continue to be uh, stable. Jordanian um, education system very very good, as we discussed offline before. Jordanian uh, literacy is very high by Middle East. Um, the country has basically no uh, natural resources. Its only natural resource is petroleum, uh, and tourism is. Crucial to the country. Last two years have been very hard for Jordan because we'll have, of course, around the world. Um, Metro is also an hour away from the Jordanian port of Akron. So cruise ships are important source of a lot of tourism. Uh, uh, and of course, cruise ships have been operating. All that's starting to change, thankfully. Uh, getting more tourists. Uh, it's, uh, Considerable amount of foreign assistance from the United States today. Uh, it's the second or third largest foreign aid in the United States. Um, the uh, king um, does not enjoy the same kind of charismatic hold on the Jordanian popular mind as his father did, uh, but he is recognized by Jordanians as having produced able country. Uh, um, Jordanians also smart enough to look around. Um, their east, uh, is Iraq, which is either been at war with another country in civil war, or in some cases both now, uh, more or less constantly, uh, since, uh, 1982. Um, north is Syria, uh, been in the whole brutal dictatorship, uh, now for, uh, over 50 years, um, and last 10 years plus in the throes of a very brutal Hundreds of thousands of Syrians have fled the refugees. Uh, then there's Lebanon, which basically has no economy these days. Uh, to the west is uh, the occupied West Bank, Israel, um, and certainly uh, Light of house population in the West Bank and the uh, difficulties that they go through, uh, and frankly, the indignities after suffering in occupation. Um, Egypt across the Gulf of Aqaba uh, has gone through revolution and, and new dictatorship. Uh, and Saudi Arabia, engaged uh, uh, in Yemen now, uh, turned into a quagmire. Uh, so if, if you 
fit in a bond and look around the region, you could say, okay, this may not be the best place in the world to live, but you have to be in the Middle East. This is a pretty nice place to be, pretty comfortable. Um, the press is not entirely free by any means, but it is a lot more free than in most of the Middle East. Um, you're not allowed to criticize the king directly, uh, but you are allowed to criticize corruption in government like that. Um, allowed to criticize the peace treaty with Israel. Very unpopular uh, with the Iranian street. Um, so I, I think, well, uh, does have problems, and corruption is a very, very big problem. Um, Jordan, my estimation, will continue to be a stable friend of America uh, in the center of the Middle East. Um, and I, I know it's popular wisdom to say the United States is leaving the Middle East, and to some extent we are. But we're not going to leave the Middle East entirely. And we're certainly not going to leave Jordan. Uh, in my conversations with uh, the Pentagon and CENTCOM, they all say that the base that we've established in Jordan last five years, we've never had a base in Jordan, never deployed a permanent base for Jordan. Not now, thanks to the Syrian civil war and the development. The military loves this base because it's safe. Um, there's no uh, significant tradition of terrorism in the region. Um, and uh, soldiers who are deployed there can interact with Jordanian society in a way that you just don't see happen uh, in Saudi Arabia or in most of the Gulf. Uh, so um, this friendship, I think, will endure. Um, I've been some uh, unpleasant stories in the last year. Uh, first, about his luxury property overseas. Um, I don't think anyone gains anything in London, but in Georgetown, but three luxury houses in Malibu overlooking the Pacific Ocean uh, is a little um, questionable. And now, most recently, he's been uh, reported to have had large Swiss bank accounts. Uh, and that's not that unusual for um, heads of state to have Smith bank accounts, but it did, you know, raise questions. Where did the money come? That's essentially. The is not Saudi Arabia or the Emirates or the ruling family benefits from um, oil income. Um, but as far as I can see, these um, stories in the American media and the European media uh, seem to have uh, gotten more attention in the United States uh, than they have in Jordan, um, where I think many Jordanians say, you know, the king uh, and the queen are entitled uh, to have a nice vacation. Well, my, my forecast is um, hopefully more sane uh, and a good relationship with the United States. And as I said earlier, um, Joe Biden uh, knows Jordan well. He's been there many, many times. Uh, and I think they have a strong proof on as it wasn't there in the Trump. Bruce, in the uh, conclusion of your book, you um, offer some hints, some advice to both Jordanians and U.S. policymakers on 
the kinds of things that would be um, more effective in managing the relationship uh, in the future. Do you want to share that with uh, our audience a bit? Sure. Um, in, in this case, uh, we think should learn from these two episodes of counseling other more transparency uh, in financial activities. Um, for understandable reasons, uh, King doesn't want to advertise where he lives, where he, where he goes, travels and go. He is at risk. Uh, Al-Qaeda tried to kill um, King and the Queen summer for 9-11. Uh, the plot that uh, ultimately um, used to attack the American Royal the USS Bull in Aden and then developed initially to attack the king and the queen uh, yacht uh, on vacation in the Aegean Sea. Um, and there have been other attempts by Al-Qaeda against Marquis. Well, it's understandable that he doesn't want to advertise his location. But at the same time, there can be more transparency about um, financial. I, I suspect that's learned from that. Um, Gordon is, is marked on an ambitious effort try to give uh, their parliament bigger role running the country. Uh, we have a parliament and a cabinet, but the king then selects who the cabinet is. Um, they're trying to change that and have a more, um, wouldn't say democratic, but it's more popular-based um, government. That's probably smart. Um, Rodinians are, are very well-educated um, and Aspire to all the kinds of freedoms that, um, frankly, we take granted here in the United States. Uh, on the American side, um, Canadian leaders, King is saying to King Abdullah, to every prime minister, to every head of the Jordanian intelligence force, always have the same mantra: "Got to do something up next. Um, cannot leave the West Bank." And East Jerusalem and Gaza in the actual state government that this is breeding unrest in the Not the only source of but it is a Um Some American presidents have listened closely to this. Um, Bill Clinton tried enormously uh, to bring about vision. Um, many have come to hard. Uh, and understandably, it is very, very hard. Um, and it's not a question of getting the parties uh, to agree. Uh, it's a question of American politics. I don't know. Um, I think Joe Biden has put it into two hard categories. If we can't resolve the problem, one thing that American presidents can do, very, very helpful, constantly reads that under the terms of the Bill Jordan PCB, is uh, keeper of holy places, Muslim and Christian. The Jordanians act as managers of those places. And, and this is very important to the legitimacy of the mission. Um, their claim to fame, uh, to being managers of one of the rock and the El Aqsa Mosque, uh, goes a long way to reintegrating 
they are literally the descendants of the prophet Amr. And King can trace time back uh, all the way uh, to the prophet. And the Ashamite family, of course, is the family of uh, Amr. And this underscores the origin. It's very useful for American presidents time to time in one way or another. Reiterate that almost with us. I think that's, it doesn't cost us a thing. Um, and it helps, uh, uh, office. Well, the book is called, uh, America and Jordan and Enduring Friendship. It is a fascinating read. I recommend it to those who follow, um, Middle Eastern affairs, but actually, um, politics in general. Uh, I want to thank my good friend, uh, Bruce Rodell, for coming on today and providing us um, a great story. Thanks for having me.